It's Thursday, January 11th. This is the Hermetic Hour. I'm your host, Pope Runyon, and tonight we will revisit the 1908 occult classic, The Caballion, by three initiates. And we will reveal just who those three initiates really were. Now, in 2008, Philip Deslepi issued the definitive edition of the Caballion. He said it was entirely the work of William Walter Atkinson. He was born in 1862, died in 1923, and he was a very noted New Thought practitioner. He ran the Yogi Publishing House in Chicago, and he wrote under the name of Ramacharaka, and he wrote The Caballion, and he said it was written by three initiates. Now, Golden Dawn scholar Mary Greer did some more research in the intervening years between uh, 2008 and today. She discovered that Anna Kingsford and Edward Maitland, Victorian age writers, had written a version of the Hermetic Corpus that presented the same seven principles as the Caballion. Now, both Kingsford and Maitland had passed away by 1908, and then Richard Smoley edited yet another Caballion in 2018, the Centenary Edition. You know, it's 100 years from uh, 1908. And he returned to the byline of the three initiates, declaring the authors to have been William Walter Atkinson, Anna Kingsford and Edward Maitland. Now, these were both theosophical Victorians who both died before the turn of the century. And uh, we might also mention that Golden Dawn scholar Robert A. Gilbert discovered that Anna Kingsford was actually the mysterious Fräulein Sprengel who helped create the Golden Dawn. Now, her connection is revealed in our book, Secrets of the Golden Dawn Cipher Manuscript by myself and Bob Gilbert, which is available from pokerunion.com. So uh, let's look at that, and let's take a closer look at the Caballion and its recent editions. Primarily, Richard Smoley has really done a, done a yeoman job in this centenary edition of the Caballion, and it's in the same format as as the book was originally, nice, nice little quarto, pebble green leather with a gold stamp. And it's very, very nice. And I'll give you a little background on Smoley, and then I'll give you a little background on Atkinson. Richard Smoley was the creator of Gnosis Magazine. You, you old-timers remember that one? Came out, out back in the 90s, and they had wonderful, wonderful articles on magic and, and theosophy and, and everything. It was really, really beautiful. And uh, Richard Smoley, by the way, gave my video, The Magic of Solomon, a very, very favorable review, and I've always, I've always been happy about that. Anyway, so Richard he is a scholar. Right now, he's the editor of, of the of Theosophy's Journal. I know he's, he's uh, hobnobbing with Robert Elwood, our old friend. And we have, of course, gone back to a kind of vouchering uh, confidence in theosophy. Anyway, Smoley wrote this forward, and in the forward, uh, the introduction to the, uh, to the centenary edition of the Caballion, he really lays out Kingsford and Maynard's uh, hermetic version of the world that they wrote. And he shows, he shows how 
It absolutely was. It absolutely was the source. The way he thinks, the way, way Mary Greer and, and Rolly think, they think, well, you know, uh, Atkinson was a nice guy. He was, he didn't want to be a plagiarist, but he loved the, the virgin, the hermetic virgin of the world so much, and he wanted to do his own version of it. And yet and the authors were both dead, so how does he give them credit? Well, he, he gave them credit by having the book to my line, Three Initiates. That was himself. He considered himself an initiate. And Anna Kingsford and and, uh, and Maitland. Anyway, Anna Kingsford, by the way, was, uh, let me give you a little background on her. She was the founder of the Hermetic Society in England in Victorian times. She had joined Blavatsky early on, and, you know, when Blavatsky had started off, she was writing. She was writing uh, Isis Unveiled, and she was very much into ancient Egyptian and Western occultism. And and so Kingsford was was a Theosophist. And yet, when Blavatsky started becoming entirely Eastern, and also started taking a stance against Christianity, which Kingsford and Maitland realized was one of the bedrocks of the Western tradition. So. Consequently, Anna Kingsford broke away from Theosophy and founded the Hermetic Society in London. By the way, Anna Kingsford was a doctor. She was a lady doctor. She was a vegetarian. She was an anti-vivisectionist. In fact, she was the only doctor to get an, to get an MD in those days that didn't didn't actually uh, do experiments on live animals. An interesting parallel to Anna Kingsford was Richard Steiner over in Europe because he started off as a theosophist. And then when Levatsky got, when she got anti-Christian and started uh, favoring Reform Hinduism and, and, and all, then uh, Steiner, Steiner left theosophy and he formed the Anthroposophic, Anthroposophic Society, which has a lot of outgrowths, including our friend Franz Martin. And, and anyway, trying to give you the backgrounds of some of this, and the Kabbalion now, the Kabbalion is one of those books that you scratch your head while you're reading it, and you and you continue to scratch your head while you're reading it, and you're going to continue to scratch your head while you're reading it for all for all the way through it. Now, I suggest when you read the Kabbalion, I suggest that you get the Fitzgerald version of the Rubiatum Omar Khayyam, and be sure and get the one with the Sullivan illustrations, and and read a chapter of the Kabbalion. And then read a number of verses of Omar. Then read another chapter of the Kabbalion. Then read another few chapters of Omar. I think I think that way you 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 be able to get through it. Now, what does the Kabbalion do? What does it do that warrants our really paying attention to it? Well, number one, as we've said before, and as and on this program, and and many people have said, it is more new thought than Hermetic. It says it's hermetic philosophy, but it really is not directly hermetic philosophy. Why? Because it does not honor the gods. It does does not espouse astrology. It doesn't honor the old systems. And yet, we shouldn't fault it for that because Kingsford and Maitland, they went and dug back into the old hermetic treatises, and they, they kind of established that the that it, it uh, that it really was based on ancient Egyptian, and I am getting more and more convinced of that because uh, we are right now we're getting a 
uh, definitive version of the Coretta Repoa out, and we're working on it. And we've discovered, I say we, I, actually this is this more Frater Belazar, Balthazar, and Frater Boaz. They have discovered an ancient Egyptian ritual that translates very, very much like the Kabbalion has written. It's all kind of structural rather than specific. The Kabbalion uses the spirits and the, the demons and the gods, and they are the forces, and they're the forces that you use in the, in the hermetic treatises. And what the Kabbalion does is it takes these personalized forces and it turns them around into uh, just general forces like vibration and, and, and cause and effect and things like that. Anyway, what I want to do is in, in order for you to, to get the, the gist of what um, Kingsford and, and Maitland contributed, I'm going to read Richard Smalley's introduction. And I don't think Richard's going to fault me for that because he's probably read it on several podcasts, and I don't think you'll mind me reading it again. But it's the best way to explain it. So let me get the book here, and I'm going to read Richard's uh, introduction. This is the introduction to the centenary edition of the Kabbalion by Richard Smalley. People grazing in metaphysical bookshops may have wondered about the mysterious volume called the Kabbalion, written by three initiates and first issued by the Yogi Publication Society of Chicago in 1908. Now, the best-known edition is a plain volume bound in blue cloth and stamped with gold in a format like those other books from the same pub publisher, including various works on yoga by one Swami Ramacharaka. Now, the, uh, the Kabbalion claims to be a brief introduction to a mystical tradition that has survived from antiquity. The core of the work is a series of aphorisms which the authors contend go back to the early days and were passed on from teacher to student. The exact signification and meaning of the terms having been lost for several centuries. Now the word Kabbalion, taken at face value, looks vaguely Greek, but it has no meaning in that language. The closest word to it in the standard Greek lexicon, curiously, is Kybea, meaning dice game. It is also tempting to connect this word with the Jewish mystical tradition known as the Kabbalah, especially given that early modern occult texts such as the 17th century English translation of Cornelius Agrippa's Three Books of Occult Philosophy sometimes use a Hebrew word for Kabbalah, Mekubalim. But the Kabbalah is never mentioned in the Kabbalion. Rather, it represents itself as the essence of the teachings of Hermes Trismegistus, thrice greatest Hermes, a legendary semi-divine figure who is said to have brought learning to Egypt in the remotest past. Hermes Trismegistus is often identified with both the Greek god Hermes and the Egyptian god Thoth. The Kabbalion is organized according to seven principles, which it says form the basis of occult philosophy. 
Mentalism is the first. All is mind. The universe is mental. The second one is correspondence. As above, so below. As below, so above. And as within, so without. The third is vibration. Nothing rests. Everything moves. Everything vibrates. The fourth is polarity. Everything is dual. Everything has poles. Everything has its pair of opposites. The fifth is rhythm. Everything flows out and in. Everything has its has its tides, and all things rise and fall. And the sixth is cause and effect. Every cause has its effect. Every effect has its cause. Everything happens according to law. And the seventh is gender. Gender is in everything. Everything has its masculine and feminine principles. Gender manifests all the planes. The origins of this book have mystified many scholars. Many scholars. Philip Dislep argues convincingly, I believe, that it was written by William Walter Atkinson, who operated the Yogi, the Yogi Publication Society in Chicago. He is also thought to be Swami Ramacharaka, as the first principle mentalism suggests. The ideas of the Kabbalion bear some resemblance to new thought, a movement to which Atkinson was closely connected. The universe, the Kabbalion tells us, is contained in the mind of the all. The all creates the universe mentally in a manner akin to the process whereby man creates mental images. This idea is central to practically all New Thought teachings. Nevertheless, the book does echo a more remote past. The term the all, for example, resembles the Greek to pan, which also means the all and which appears in some hermetic maxims, most famously, hen to pan, all is one. Given the claim for it, the most obvious source to examine for the roots of the Kabbalion is the Corpus Hermeticum, or Hermetic Body of Texts. These were composed probably in the early centuries of the Common Era and purport to expound the wisdom of Egypt as narrated in a series of discourses and dialogues including Hermes and his son Tot, a version of Thoth. And indeed, there are intriguing resemblances between those works and the Kabbalion. The first text in the Corpus Hermeticum, the Pomandris, probably a Greek ad adaptation of the Egyptian Primneri, or Mind Authority, tells us that the source of the universe was nos, consciousness, or mind. Much as the Kabbalion asserts the principle of mentalism, moreover, this divine mind is described as being an androgyny and existing as light and life, which parallels the concept of gender as set out in the Kabbalion. The Kabbalion also speaks of the principle of correspondence. This idea appears in another ancient hermetic text, the extremely brief and elliptical emerald tablet, which says in Latin, uh, I won't read the Latin, but I will read the English, what is above is like to that which is below, 
and what is below is like to that which is above, to enact the wonders of the one thing. The Emerald Tablet is said to have originally been written in Syriac, a Semitic language spoken in the Eastern Mediterranean world in antiquity, but it survives only in somewhat dissimilar translations in Latin and Arabic. Whether there really was a collection of aphorisms known as the Kabbalion and passed down from master to pupil from the days of antiquity is hard to say. There are, to our knowledge, no copies of it or any references to it that predate the 1908 edition. But that does not mean there were none. And there are claims of similarly hidden texts in other traditions. The Russian esotericist Boris Maryev claimed that esoteric Christianity has an unpublished set of aphorisms called the Golden Book, some of which he quotes in his three-volume work, Gnosis, Study and Commentaries on the Esoteric Tradition of Eastern Orthodoxy, although these do not resemble the maxims of the Kabbalion in any degree. As for the author, William Walter Atkinson, who was born in 1862 and died in 1932. Um, after an abortive career as a lawyer, he moved to Chicago. He was born in Baltimore. And after an abortive career as a lawyer, he moved to Chicago with his family in 1900 and lived there for most of the rest of his life. He began writing books and articles in the vein of new thought, a movement that stresses the power of the mind in creating reality. And his first book, Thought Force, was published in 1901. Now, most of Atkinson's books published pseudonymously, and in 1903, he began writing under the name of Yogi Ramacharaka. And in 1908, the Kabbalion appeared, ascribed to three initiates. The publisher was Atkinson's own Chicago-based Yogi Publication Society. The identity of these three initiates has long been a puzzle. Many candidates have been named, notably the occultist Paul Forster Case, founder of the society known as the Builders of the Adidum. Let me insert right in here that the reason why Paul Forster Case was not one of the three initiates was he worked, he actually worked for Atkinson as an office boy. He was 24 years old, and he was, he was very, very much a junior, uh, uh, junior, um, junior clerk in Atkinson's uh, publishing place. Um, but as Philip Dislep's research has shown, the book almost certainly had a single author, and that was Atkinson. Uh, indeed, in 1917, for a French edition, the illustrator identified the author uh, as W.W. Atkinson. Now, the Kabbalion quotes a number of sources from Atkinson's time. Thomas J. Hudson's 1893 work, The Law of Physical Phenomenon. Rama Prasada's 1890 title, the science of breath and the philosophy of the Tatwas, as well as philosophers, William James and Herbert Spencer. And of course, as we all know, Crowley was very much into Herbert Spencer. 
but its chief source probably would lay elsewhere. In a 2009 blog posting, tarot scholar Mary K. Greer suggested a plausible source for the Cabadian. In 1885, Anna Kingsford, an Englishwoman who founded an organization called the Hermetic Society, published a book titled The Virgin of the World of Hermes Mercurius Trismegistus, which contained an adaption of the Hermetic texts. As Greer points out, this book, especially its introduction, written by Kingsford's associate, Edward Maitland often parallels the Kabbadians' seven principles. And here, and here is what Maitland has. Number one, mentalism. Maitland asserts that consciousness is the indispensable condition of existence. Matter is merely a mode of consciousness. Number two is correspondence. Maitland writes that from the oneness of original being, comes a corollary, the law of correspondences between all planes or spheres of existence, in virtue of which the macrocosm is as the microcosm, the universal as the individual, the world as man, and man as God. And the third is vibration. The Kabbalion formulates this principle. Nothing rests, everything moves, everything vibrates. This idea echoes a passage in one of the Hermetic texts. There is nothing immutable, nothing stable, nothing unchanging in nature, either in the heavens or in the earth. And the fourth is polarity. Maitland writes, all being modes, all being modes of the one. No inherent antagonism or essential difference is possible. Total unconsciousness is not being and bears to consciousness the relation of darkness to light. The latter alone, the two being, however reduced, the positive entity and darkness being the non-entity. And the fifth principle is rhythm. The Corpus Hermeticum 14 reads, Order maintains the fabric of things established by destiny and necessity. For all this is an everlasting sequence without beginning or end. It rises and falls alternately, and as time rolls onward, that which has disappeared rises again uppermost. And the sixth is cause and effect. Maitland refers to that inexorable law of cause and effect in things moral and virtue of which man's nature and conditions in the future are the result of the tendencies voluntarily encouraged by him in the past and present. And the seventh is gender. Maitland writes, so far from repudiating the relations of the sexes, the hermetic doctrine exalts them as symbolizing the loftiest divine mysteries, and enjoins their exercise as a duty, the fulfillment of which, in some at least of his incarnations, is essential to the full perfectionment and initiation of the individual. Now, given these resemblances, along with the Cabalian's insistence 
that it contains the essence of Hermetic teaching, it is very likely that Kingsford and Maitland's work was the main source for the Cavalier. These examples also show that Atkinson was not plagiarizing. The Virgin of the World, rather, he was attempting to distill it its most important principles into his own words and add a lot of modern references. And the style and content of the Kabbalion echo those of Atkinson's other works. Here, for example, is the Kabbalion. The Hermetic teachings are that not only is everything in constant movement and vibration, but that the differences between the various manifestations of the universal power are due entirely to the varying rate and mode of vibrations. Modern science has proven that all that we call matter and energy are but modes of vibratory motion. Compare this to an excerpt from a booklet entitled Practical Mental Influence and Mental Fascination, published under Atkinson's own name. He says, Physical science teaches that underlying all forms, degrees, and apparent differences, there is to be found a manifestation of some elementary energy, which manifests in what is known as vibrations. Everything in the material world is in vibration, ever manifesting a higher degree of motion. Without vibration, there would be no such thing as, as the material universe. In fact, physical science itself teaches that only is vibration the basic force underlying all forces and the various forms of matter, but also that the apparent differences between the various forms of matter and also the various forms of energy are caused simply and solely by varying degrees of vibration. Another example here from the Kabbalion, all the phenomenal world or universe is simply a mental creation of the all. Subject to the laws of created things and that the universe as a whole and in its parts and units has its existence in the mind of the all, in which mind we live and move and have our being. Here is a familiar passage from Lessons in Ghana Yoga by Atkinson writing as, Ramat, as Yogi Ramacharaka. This indeed is the highest conception of truth in the yogi teachings. This, that all manifestation and emanations of the absolute are mental creations of the absolute. Forms held in the infinite mind, the infinite spirit in them, and they in the infinite spirit. But we are left with this question. Why are the pseudomous authors of the three initiates uh, said to be the three initiates, was Atkinson collaborating with someone else. If we go by the hypothesis that I have sketched out above, the answer becomes apparent. Atkinson wrote the book by himself, but he wanted to acknowledge his debt to Kingsford and Maitland. They were the two other initiates. He is not saying that they helped him write the book, which they did not, because both of them had died by the turn of the century, Kingsford in 1888 and Maitland 
1897. Atkinson is simply paying homage to them by including them in the anonymous trinity of authors. Thus, it is possible to trace out a lineage for the Kabbalion. The original Hermetic texts, which have been known in the Western world since the 15th century and which have existed in English versions since at least the 17th, and the digest of these texts is as presented by Kingsford and Maitland in Victorian London. In this sense, the aphorisms in the Kabbalion are very likely a pious fraud. Certainly, their style and mode of thought are more evocative of 20th century America than they are of ancient Egypt or Renaissance Europe. Even so, it would be a mistake, I think, to conclude that this work is unfaithful to the tradition it lays claim to. A spiritual tradition is based certainly on timeless and unchanging truths, but the application uh, to which these truths are put, put will vary from age to age in accordance with that age's need. In this sense, the Kabbalion is a genuine link in the Hermetic chain. The Kabbalion has been a central text for 20th century American occultism and spirituality. The book has been hailed as in Rosicrucian and Hermetic circles and in the realm of New Thought. Florence Scoville Shin, a popular New Thought author of the early 20th century, identified her positive thinking philosophy with the ideas of the Kabbalion. And Shin herself went on to influence probably the best-known advocate of positive thinking in the 20th century, Norman Vincent Peale. In the 21st century, the Kabbalion's ideas of vibration, frequency, mental alchemy, and the law of attraction were incorporated into Rhonda Burney's 2006 bestseller, The Secret. Given all this, how do the ideas in the Kabbalion relate to the traditional esoteric teaching? The most striking thing about the Kabbalion is its terminology, vibration, rhythm, polarity, causation. All of these point to a scientific or a quasi-scientific mode of thought. This fits the book perfectly into its context in the early 20th century when science had established itself as the non of human knowledge. To be taken seriously, thinkers felt the need to frame their ideas in quasi-scientific terms and invoke the hard physical sciences to support them. We have already seen examples in the passage quoted above on vibration, which cite modern science and physical science as authorities. Our own time has its updated version of this. Metaphysical writers invoke quantum physics and relativity, often in garbled and most unrecognizable forms, but in much the same way. This practice is legitimate, or at any rate understandable. One naturally wishes to frame ancient and presumably eternal ideas in the terms that will make the most sense to one's contemporaries. But it is, but it has created a little noticed effect. Scientific terms and concepts as framed today characterize 
the entities they discuss as impersonal and inanimate. They are forces, not living beings in the sixth but in the sixth century AD, Thales and Miletus, the first thinker to explore the universe in a way that might be called scientific, insisted that all things are full of gods. No scientist would dare make such a statement today, even if he believed it. The Kabbalion, then, is in part a long-range trend in Western esoteric thought to move from the world of the personal, from, from spirits, angels, demons, fairies, into the impersonal, vibration, polarity, causation. Now, I think this is one of the most important parts in this, in this introduction is uh, because all through the hermetic treatises, uh, they're referring to these forces as gods, demons, and angels. Some may automatically see this process as an advance or evolution of thought. I myself am not so sure. I do not believe so categorically either in the personal nature or in the impersonality of the forces that are being explored here. Rather, I would imagine these forces could look personal, viewed uh, from one angle and impersonal from another, the totality being something larger than our minds are likely to be able to apprehend. Hence, there are a major difference between the original Hermetic teachings and the new thought-flavored doctrines of the Kabbalion. The Corpus Hermeticum did not exist in a philosophical vacuum. Its highly elevated and abstruse dialogues form only a part of the ancient Hermetic literature. Much of the rest consists of magical texts, and scholars have become increasingly aware that these cannot be so easily divorced in content or inspir inspiration from the more theoretical Hermetic writings. In short, the ancient her Hermetists probably did not use a type of new thought like mind power in their practice. Rather, they probably made use of such things as magical rituals, divination, the invocation of the gods, just as we see in most forms of ancient religion. The use of mind power as we find it in new thought seems to be very much an innovation of the 19th century probably of the New England healer Phineas P. Quimby and his spiritual descendants, including Mary Baker Eddy, Eddy founder of Christian Science. We now face the biggest and most difficult question of all. What value do the teachings of the Kabbalion have? Are they true? There are many testimonials to the effects of thought power on events in the physical world, but then there are also countless cases, many of which we never hear about, in which these ideas simply do not work or did not work as expected. And to speak personally again, I would endorse the basic idea of mind power. Indeed, there are levels of mind at which to think something is going to happen. Nevertheless, the levels of mind that possess this creative power are surrounded by heavy defenses in the psyche. For most people, they are inaccessible. You can force your way through these barricades 
with certain techniques and certain drugs, this may be what the traditional occult literature calls the confrontation with the dweller on the threshold. This term used in Bulwer Lytton's classic novel Zanoni, 1842, refers essentially to this psychic barrier between the conscious and the unconscious minds. But, the un but unless you are extremely well-trained and well-prepared, and probably even then, this attempt is likely to distort and injure the mind rather than enlightening it. Now, all this is as it should be. Do you really want the power to think something and instantly make it happen? Do you have the will and the safe self-mastery that would require? In any case, I believe that thought power in its ultimate form both offers more power and presents more risks than many people would believe. And as for simpler and easier and less effective forms of thought power, positive suggestion and so on, I believe they also work, although in a less dramatic way. Certainly, it is better to be saying kind and cheering things to yourself than harmful and destructive ones. But I also believe that there are limits to this practice, the subconscious knows when it's being lied to. And as for the Kabbalion scientific teachings, my own opinion is that they are true. And But it is not easy to grasp their essential connection from the terms it presents. Take the idea that the universe is entirely mental in nature. On the surface, this idea appears to be false. On the surface, it seems that there are at least two distinct types of events. Mental events take place in one's mind, and they are not publicly accessible, not at any rate without some type of communication. We normally distinguish between these and physical events, which are, for the most part, publicly accessible. If you and I are in the same room, and there is a green lamp on the table, we will both see it. But as we have said in my book, The Dice Game of Shiva, How Consciousness Creates the Universe, there is more truth to the idea of mentalism than there may seem to be. We can understand it more clearly if we take the following viewpoint. There is that which experiences and that which is experienced. And the former has many names and in the world's traditions, the self, Atman, Purusha, the true, I, Buddha nature, spirit, it is pure cognition. It has no contents of its own. Then there is that which is experienced, and this includes the sum title, total of all experience, both physical and mental. It is variously known as, as Prakriti, the world, and as as in the Gospels, and even matter, but it is not matter as conventionally understood. It is simply that which is perceived in all forms. In this sense, a rock is matter, but so is the image of a rock in your mind. Prakriti is constantly changing, constantly moving, constantly altering. Hence, the Kabbalion tells us, Nothing rests, everything moves, everything vibrates. 
In ordinary human consciousness, that which experiences is entangled with that which is experienced. We believe we are what we experience, and we believe we are the thoughts and emotions that pass through the mind, and we become what we behold, and it can be difficult to detach the two. But I believe that this is precisely the goal of many forms of meditation. The self, as pure witness, watches all phenomena, mental and physical, inner and outer, pleasant and unpleasant, as images passing across the screen of the mind. In this sense, we can say that all is mental. Notice also that the interaction between self and phenomenon can itself vary. Self can identify with the contents of his experience, or it can detach itself from them. And it seems likely to me that neither of these stances is absolute. And indeed, they can alternate or appear to alternate rapidly in many cases. Self-identities with its contents, then it detaches itself from them. Let's go further and posit that this process takes place at all levels of manifestation, from that of the subatomic particle to the atom to our own level and beyond. It is, in my view, entirely legitimate consciousness of the atom. If we posit some kind of process whereby this goes on constantly, and shall we say habitually, we now see the source of the vibration that the Gabalion describes and which it points out is the standard feature of the universe because this process takes place at all levels and scales of reality. And we also see the source of the correspondences among all levels that the Gabalion asserts. In fact, these considerations help explain all of the basic principles of the Kabbalion, in addition to the ones I have just mentioned above. Polarity. This is the polarity between self and the world, uh, between that which experiences and that which is experienced. Gender, self and other, and what experiences and that, and that which is experienced correspond to the masculine and the feminine, respectively. Rhythm. The perpetual alteration between identification and attachment, between self and other. Again, at all levels, it generates the rhythm of the universe, the cause and effect. What we observe is cause and, and effect is simply the operation and outcome of these processes. <clears throat> In any event, even these few points can help us see the depth and fertility of the ideas in the Kabbalion. They also help us see that these ideas are not merely an arbitrary string of, an, of, of axioms, but expressions of a certain basic principle that, once understood, illuminate them all. And that concludes Richard Smalley's uh, introduction. And I'd like to add a few personal comments on that. The most most important thing I think that Smalley emphasizes is that the real difference between the Kabbalion's approach 
and, and the approach of the original hermetic treatises was the business of the gods. And this also applies to astrology, because in the original hermetic treatises, astrology really, really figures heavily. When Spody uh, talks about uh, the personal nature, the hermetic treatises, they, they extol the angels, the demons, and if you want to interpret demons as demons, I suppose you might, but originally, by the way, in hermetic science, that uh, there really wasn't any definition of evil spirits because they're all yours. And the most, the most important thing, of course, the most important thing in the Kabbalah, the all is in the one and the one is in the all. In other words, the great I am, and the great I am is uh, the idea that you are literally connected with God. Your mind is connected with God. And the universal mind is what we're referring to here. Also, I'd like to mention that uh, you will find theosophy in the, in the Kabbalah in you, and because it had a tremendous influence on, uh, on occultism. And let's not forget that Blavatsky started off with Isis unveiled before the secret doctrine, and really, Kingsford and Steiner did not leave theosophy until Blavatsky went east and started reflecting Ronbar Singh's antagonism to Christianity. And both Anna Kingsford and and uh, Rudolf Steiner, they they didn't they didn't care for that at all. They were they were both, you know, British and, and, and European occultists, and they considered Christianity to be a large part of the Western tradition, which it is. And um, also, we might want to remember that uh, Anna Kingsford was the woman called Fräulein Sprengel, and she passed on Mackenzie's cipher manuscript and authorized it, and so she was responsible for creating the Golden Dawn. So therefore, that's another link that links the Kabbalion, uh, because the Kabbalion, you know, was, she was the main inspirational uh, of the three initiates, was, was Anna Kingsford. And so the Kabbalion does have a connection of the Golden Dawn. And anyway, I, I think this about concludes uh, what we have to say about the Kabbalion. By the way, uh, Philip just slept his version which is still available, the definitive Kabbalion, that's still available. It came out in 2008. He has another book by Atkinson that was never published. It's the first time it's published. It's called The Seven Cosmic Laws, and he has that in in with uh, his uh, definitive Kabbalion. It's The Seven Cosmic Laws uh, by Atkinson, and so you might want to remember that, although this, this little... Uh, uh, centenary Kabbalion is really a beautiful little book. It, it's, you know, it's pebble grain, qu quarto, pebble grain, gold snap. It's, it's really a nice little book. Anyway, that concludes our show for, uh, for, for this week. Uh, we'll be back next, next week with another uh, look at the Hermetic Mysteries. And until then, good magic.